Okay, if you could turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. That's where we're going to be spending some time here this evening. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. If you have a pew Bible, it's on page 1038, but I don't see anybody with pew Bibles outside of me. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. And it says this, Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Father, I am truly a weak and inadequate servant. Help me to handle and transmit your word well here tonight. And you've continued to remind me of my inadequacies as I've prepared for this message. The reality is, is that we're all inadequate before you without your son. May your word here tonight convict us of our sinful inadequacies and remind us of the hope that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I think everyone here has seen the movie The Wizard of Oz or is at least familiar with the plot. A young girl from Kansas is transported by a tornado to the fantasy utopia of Oz. Upon arriving, she innocently makes enemies with the wicked witch of the West and needs to get back to Kansas because her life is now in danger in Oz. Dorothy is befriended by Glinda, who's a good witch. Glinda doesn't know the directions back to Kansas, but she says that the great and wonderful Wizard of Oz might know. The only way to get to the Emerald City where the wizard resides is for Dorothy to walk there using the yellow brick road as her guide. Before Dorothy departs on her journey, Glinda warns her that she must do two things. Never let the ruby slippers get off her feet and follow the yellow brick road. When Dorothy starts to ask Glinda what happens if she were to get off the yellow brick road, Glinda interrupts her just before floating off in this bubble, quickly saying, just follow the yellow brick road. Implying that in order to walk wisely and arrive safely, she must stay on the path of the yellow brick road. Later in the movie, we learn about the wicked witch of the West lurking in the darkness when Dorothy unwisely veers off the yellow brick road. The scarecrow is almost set on fire. Dorothy and her companions get apples thrown at them, and they're lulled to sleep in the deadly poppy fields. Had Dorothy perfectly adhered to Glinda's warning, she would have been more watchful and walked more wisely, and as a result, avoided the wickedness that threatened her safety. The Wizard of Oz is just one of many fictional stories with a good versus evil storyline. But we know they're not real, 
And then after the, the show is finished, we go back to relaxing. The reality is that there is wickedness in the world. And it's much scarier than it's portrayed on the screen. And that's whether we choose to believe it or not. Later in chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul tells, he tells us that the wickedness we're up against on the earth consists of invisible, demonic forces. We cannot relax right now. We need to continue walking in wisdom watchfully because the days are wicked. So how does one walk wisely amidst a dangerous battlefield of unseen hazards? What does it look like to walk in wisdom? Paul gives us the answer here in Ephesians. So the main idea of our passage here is walking in wisdom requires watchful living because the days are wicked. Walking in wisdom requires watchful living because the days are wicked. Walking in wisdom requires watchful living because the days are wicked. And what are the characteristics of one who walks in wisdom watchfully? They buy, they comply, and they rely. They buy, they comply, they comply, and they rely. So our three points are the three ways Paul is telling us to walk in wisdom watchfully. You walk in wisdom watchfully as you, one, buy up the time. Number two, you comply with the Lord's will. And number three, you rely on the Spirit's filling. You walk in wisdom watchfully as you, one, you buy up the time. Two, comply with the Lord's will. And three, rely on the Spirit's filling. So point number one, you walk in wisdom watchfully as you, one, buy up the time. So follow along as I read verses 15 and 16 again. Pay careful attention then to how you live or walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. And in the previous passage, right before this, Paul had just reminded the Ephesians that they are light. And they ought to walk in this light. And here in verse 16, he's telling them to walk in wisdom. And that requires an individual to make the most of the time. The phrase, to make the most of, comes from a word that that means to buy up. And the origins of this phrase, to buy up, can be traced back to old-time markets where merchants gathered just once a week. Buyers would pay close attention to the market and would seize up every opportunity they could to buy up what they could, knowing that they would not last long. Missed opportunities were wasted opportunities. And Paul is saying here that we too need to be watchful in seizing every opportunity and do our own buying up daily. Like the opportunities in the old-time markets, our lives are but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Not only are our days short-lived, they are evil, they are wicked. Every day we're each presented with the same evil and momentary marketplace. But instead of goods being sold, it's time. So what is the currency that we buy up 
the time with? Well, we buy up the time with time. And it's actually time that's already been purchased by Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that we were bought with a price. We, therefore, our time, were bought with a price. And that price was Christ's life. We in the New Covenant community don't own our bodies and we do not own our time. And every day we're given a blank check from our master to buy up time for his glory. Daily we're faced with the decision of how we'll invest this time. And there will always be an opportunity cost associated with it. We could have spent the time on something else for a different purpose. And since the days are wicked, we are to make the best use use of our blood-bought time as we deny ourselves and follow Jesus. A word to Christians here. How are you investing the time that's been loaned to you? Would you say you're being faithful with this blood-bought time? By God's grace, more and more men in this church are being accountable to another when it comes to sexual purity. But how would you rate your own purity in regards to how you're investing your time? Is it being invested to build up the church and God's kingdom? Or are you wasting opportunities away? If we were to look at your internet browser, your history, what would we see there? I'm not even referring to anything sexual in nature. I'm just talking about sports, hobbies, shopping, a chain of clickbait videos that just goes on and on and on with our time. And just a sampling of foolish ways we tend to buy up time in unproductive ways. There's an author by the name of Michael Hyatt who's written a number of leadership and planning books, and he's quoted as saying, claim your calendar before someone else does. Claim your calendar before someone else does. In other words, if you're not watchful of how you're investing your time, and you're not planning and budgeting your time, you will mindlessly squander your time. So, repent from your faithless spending of time and trust in the Lord afresh. Get in the habit of being watchful of your time, asking yourself questions like, is what I'm doing with right now, in this moment, honoring to the Lord? Identify those time-wasting vices and avoid them. Be intentional with your time. Plan your diet, plan your day, buy up time wisely. If you're not a Christian, what do you spend your time on? Our time goes to where our heart directs it to go. So what does your time go towards? Like I mentioned, our times are a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Because we're all sinners, we are all natural time and life wasters. Not selflessly investing it for His glory, but for our own And the Bible refers to this as sin. Sin that separates us from a holy God. Sin that deserves an eternity separated from God under His wrath in hell. And that's the bad news. 
But there is good news. And that good news is that Jesus, or Jesus, God sent his son, Jesus, to use his time perfectly and selflessly for us, doing what we could never do. He obeyed God to the point of death, bearing the wrath of God on the cross for those who repent and believe in him. God's purpose for your life is for you to repent from your time-wasting, time that's not spent for his glory, and put your faith in Jesus. Realize that your time is indeed short, and see your need to repent and trust Christ today. Trusting in Christ does not mean a wasted life. In fact, it's just the opposite. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39, anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it, will save it. So point number one, you walk in wisdom watchfully as you buy up the time. And point number two, you walk in wisdom watchfully as you comply with the Lord's will. Comply with the Lord's will. So let's look at verse 17. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And the word so that's there, that begins a sentence, or in other translations, you see the word therefore, is there to point us back to what was written before. So as we take into consideration what Paul had just written in verses 15 and 16, another way to read verse 17 is since our time is limited, And since the days are evil, don't be foolish. But rather, understand what the the will of the Lord is. So what is the will of the Lord? Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that God's revealed will, His will of command, is the word of His law. The the Lord's will are the words of of his law. This is the Bible. His words are his will. But it's more than just that. Deuteronomy goes on to say that these words are meant to be followed or complied with. Simply knowing what the Lord's will is, it just isn't enough. We must comply with it. We must obey it. James says to be doers of the word and not just hearing not just hearers only. Do you guys know what he finishes that sentence with? Deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Don't just know what God's word is, but comply with it. Obey it. Because if you don't, you'll what? You'll be deceived. You'll deceive yourself. In our passage, Paul has already set a threatening tone telling us that we need to pay special attention so that we're not foolish because the days are evil. And then James tells us that we're at risk of deceiving ourselves. So how do we understand what the Lord's will and not interpret it as our own sinful will? I'm going to have you keep your fingers there. Turn to Romans chapter chapter 12. Verse 2, Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this age, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Paul tells us here in Romans that in order to understand the will of God, we must not conform to this evil world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may understand what the will of the Lord is. So what is wrong with our minds that would require them to be renewed? Let's turn back to Ephesians chapter 4, 17. And as we read these few verses, I want you to pay special attention to the descriptions related to our mind. To 4, 17. says, Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, and because of the hardness of their hearts. Scroll down to um, verse 20. Jump to verse 20. Yeah, I did say scroll. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So what are the different ways the mind is described here? Futile or worthless thoughts in 17, darkened understanding and ignorance in verse 18, deceitful desires in verse 22. These are all characteristics of an old, corrupted, and rebellious mind. And there's a constant pressure exerted for us to think in this way. Paul tells us to not be conformed to the way the world thinks. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It's almost like he's saying, Christian, in this world, there is this dunce cap of a mindset that wants to return to its birthplace. And we're prone to be deceived. So put on your God-exalting thinky caps so that you can walk in wisdom. And what is the cause of this worldly mindset? Let's go back to the end of verse 18. What does it say there at the end of verse 18? I'm sorry, 418 that is. Because of the hardness of their hearts. Our hard hearts are at the root, at the root of an unrenewed mind. As a result of our hard, darkness-loving hearts, we are unable to understand what the will of the Lord is as we're commanded. And because of our hard hearts, we don't walk wisely in a dark and wicked world. But we are deceived, and we conform to it. We rebelliously and foolishly scream at the Lord, not your will, but rather my will be done. In order to comply to God's word and be renewed in the spirit of our minds, so that our understanding is not darkened, but rather enlightened, our hearts have to be changed. If you're thinking, Ben, I can't do this on my own. You're absolutely right. It doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. So how do we do things supernaturally? 
Let's turn to chapter 1, verse 16. In Ephesians there. 1.16. I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us to believe, according to the mighty working of His strength. Here, Paul is praying for the eyes of the Ephesians' hearts to be enlightened. The only way enlightenment of our hearts happens The only way the renewing of our mind occurs, the only way we can comply with the Lord's will and not our own will is through the Holy Spirit's work. Because we are easily deceived, we not only need to immerse ourselves in God's word, but we pray without ceasing for the Holy Spirit to help us comply with the Lord's will. So to walk wisely and to comply with God's will Read and pray, read and pray, read and pray, and just have that on repeat. Just like the Munchens repeated the chorus of follow the yellow brick road, let the chorus of read and pray be a reminder of how you walk wisely. So point number one, you walk in wisdom watchfully as you buy up time. Point number two, you walk in wisdom watchfully as you comply with the Lord's will. And point number three, you walk in wisdom watchfully as you rely on the Spirit's filling. You rely on the Spirit's filling. So Ephesians chapter 5, 18 to 21 says, and don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always and everything, I'm sorry, always for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Here Paul tells us not to be under the influence of wine, but rather the influence of the Holy Spirit. We use the term spirits as a synonym for alcoholic beverages, and its origins can be traced back to 327 B.C. when the Greek philosopher Aristotle wrote that drinking a distilled beer or wine put spirits in the body of the drinker, essentially possessing them. Before I became a believer, I enjoyed a regular overindulgence in alcohol. And in my drunkenness, I submitted myself regularly to the control of a terrible master. Drunkenness led to to a loss of control of my faculties, my emotions, my decision-making, and healthy inhibitions were surrendered. Plenty of forgettable moments of me surrendering control to the influence of alcohol regarding what I said and what I did. I lived recklessly in response to being filled with this drug we call alcohol. 
Paul is telling us not to surrender control to being filled with chemical spirits, but rather warns us that walking in wisdom requires us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gives us three expressions of what spirit-filled people do. They sing joyfully, they're thankful, and they submit to one another. As I was preparing for this sermon on Friday afternoon, the girls were away to school and it was just nice and quiet. But in the distance, I could hear this tick, 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 talking. Actually, it wasn't talking, it was just ticking. It was this tick, 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 ticking noise in the distance. It turned, about, it turned out to be one of these solar bobbleheads. You guys seen these before? Heard these? Been under the annoying sound of these things when everything's quiet. When there's sun, when there's sunlight, there's a little solar panel. And they just can't stop moving in response to the light. Because the little solar panel is filled with light. The only way to stop them is, well, there's no sunlight right now, so I mean, it, it's, it's not not moving, or you have to physically hold it from moving. If not, they're like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Saturday Night Live skit from the mid-90s um, with Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan, and they're in a dance club, and upon hearing the song, What is Love by Hathaway, they just can't stop, <laughs> there you go, bobbing around. So similarly, When we as Christians consider what truly is love, when we as Christians recognize that we aren't just temporarily filled with light when the sun is out, but we actually are light because of the Father's Son, when we as Christians set our minds on what is above, not is what on the earth, this joy ought to spill over in a number of different ways. And we do, or as we do, what spirit-filled people do. We sing joyfully, we're thankful, and we submit to one another. So sub-point number one, spirit-filled people sing joyfully. Verse 18 and 19 say, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. When a few of us were recently able to attend a Sunday morning gathering at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, it was a blessing to participate in such rich congregational singing. But something that really stood out was where the saints' singing was directed. The singing was, of course, God-oriented. But their singing was also directed to one another. While we traditionally sing toward the direction of where our chairs are facing, the congregation would actually swivel around as they bolted out in song to one another. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word about Christ. And singing is, singing is one of the ways we gospelize one another and build up one another, not with corrupting talk, 
but with truth. When we spill over with the Holy Spirit, we not only speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we also sing to the Lord with our hearts. Luke 6.45 says that our mouths speak from the overflow of our hearts. When we're singing, what is the attitude of our heart? What is our heart worshiping? What is your heart under the influence of when you're singing? Pray for a heart that is tuned correctly. So sub-point number one, spirit-filled people sing joyfully. And sub-point number two, spirit-filled people are thankful. Verse 20 says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, Paul adds to the saying that giving thanks in everything is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We don't have a whole lot of time to go through this, but I think it's pretty straightforward. It literally means give thanks in everything. So we're called to be thankful when our internet isn't working. We've got the man cold. We can't see an end to the rush hour or accident-provoked traffic. We're called to be thankful when we're overwhelmed with the crashing waves of life. Thankful when we're in the midst of tension in a challenging relationship. Thankful for a stage four cancer diagnosis. And we're thankful when it seems absolutely impossible to cry out, it is well with my soul because we're in the thick darkness of depression and there seems to be no way out and no reason for hope. Give thanks always and for everything? Why, Lord? Why am I supposed to give thanks always and for everything? It tells us here it's what spirit-filled people do. It's how we walk wisely in a wicked world. When we are thankful, even when it's contradictory to our flesh, it's an expression of being filled by the Spirit. It's also an expression of us understanding and complying with the will of the Lord. Doing this is hard, and it may seem impossible. Being thankful for everything is something that is difficult for everyone to do. This, of course, does not come naturally. Grumbling and complaining is what comes naturally to me. And, it, and if you're anything like me, and you think in this way, that it only... That that, that 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 is what comes naturally. You're right. And the only way we can obey this command is to do it supernaturally. So repent from your ingratitude and rely on the Holy Spirit to help you give thanks in everything. So spirit-filled people sing joyfully. Spirit-filled people are thankful. And another supernatural expression of what spirit pe- spirit-filled people do is sub-point number three. Spirit-filled people submit to one another. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. I believe next week EJ is supposed to 
or he's going to look at what submitting to one another looks like specifically in the context of specific relationships. And since I'm limited on time, we're just going to touch upon it briefly here. Spirit-filled people humbly submit to one another's needs. We're called to put ourselves beneath others, elevating others to a point that's more important than ourselves. So what might that look like? It can look a lot of different ways. And here are just a few examples. It might look like meeting the needs of others when it requires sacrificing our time, our resources, our finances. It might look like responding to needs when they arise, but also being proactive and seeking out needs. We all have needs that need to be met. It might look like serving others and not expecting to be served in response. And why ought we submit to one another? Not only is it what spirit-filled people do, it's what the only perfect spirit-filled man, Jesus Christ, was fully God, fully man, what he did as he humbly submitted to the Father's will. Not his own, but his Father's, to the point of death on a cross. So in closing... There are three ways Paul is telling us to walk in wisdom watchfully. You walk in wisdom watchfully as you buy, comply, and rely. You buy up the time, you comply with the will of the Lord, and you rely on the Spirit's filling. And the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy, continued to remind herself that she's not in Kansas anymore and that there's no place like home. There's no place like home. So what is your walk saying about where your true home is? What is your walk saying about who your master is, what he's done, and who you are in light of that? Are you walking in wisdom watchfully in these wicked days? Are you faithfully buying up the time, complying with the Lord's will, and relying on the Spirit's filling? It's our final call to action. God's will for you is to walk wisely because the days are wicked. If you don't, you will dim the brightness of your light and blend in more and more with the dark world. You'll mindlessly submit to the spirit of this world as you drift further and further from God. And you'll become more and more self-consumed. But if you walk in wisdom, you will avoid the invisible dangers that are lurking in the darkness. You will become more and more who you are in Christ, and you will walk worthy of the calling that you have received. So let us walk in wisdom and be watchful because the days are wicked. So let us pray. Father, no one here truly desires to be foolish. We all desire to be wise, but in order to do that, we need your help. We need your Spirit's help to fear you. We need your Spirit's help in investing our time. We need your Spirit's help with complying with your word. We need your Spirit's help to rely on him to bear fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.